the Mount. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been dealing with the issue of priorities. Um, and the Lord has been looking at what we treasure, and, and literally the one thing has led on to the other. Um, he talked about, you know, not laying up for yourselves um, treasure in heaven, because whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be, that whatever your eye is fixed, uh, again, he talked about uh, having that single eye, uh, and in, as a result of that, the body being filled with light, and if we have uh, the right look and the right attitude, uh, we'll be going in the right direction. Uh, and where uh, the Lord comes to now, he continues to expand on the issue of our priorities and treasures, and he highlights the issue of having misplaced priorities. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, he says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and Mammon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for the singing uh, that we've heard tonight, Lord, and we just pray that our hearts have already been prepared to meet with you this evening, Lord. We ask that you would help us to clear uh, distractions from our hearts and our minds, that we would focus upon your word tonight, Lord, and we ask that you would just speak clearly to us, Lord, that we might apply this word to our hearts and lives, uh, that if there's anything in our life that ought not to be there, that we might come under that uh, convicting preaching of your word and we might put that right in our walk with you. Father, we recognize the privilege that we have to serve you uh, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We recognize the privilege that we have uh, to be in a relationship with you as the bride of Christ. We recognize uh, the incredible responsibility we have to be part of the body of Christ. And we just pray that you'd help us to recognize uh, the master that we serve this evening. So, Father, we just pray that you would again speak to our hearts and everything that we do, we wanted to bring glory and honor and praise unto thee and lead others to the cross. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Did any of you ever used to play um, King of the Castle? Remember that game, Who's the King of the Castle? We used to do it, you know, on a, I mean, back in the days when playgrounds were real playgrounds and none of this bouncy floor stuff. I mean, it was solid concrete. You know, none of these rope, ropey climbing frames. It was literally scaffolding bars. Um, and you, you play the king of the castle, you know, it'd be the first one to get the climbing frame, and you'd be the king of the castle, and everybody's trying to pull you off. It's like so unhealth and safety. It's unbelievable. Um, but you would, but it, one person wouldn't be able to stay up there for um, very long. And oftentimes, uh, you would try and get like a, uh, a little pack together. So if there's a couple of you would try and get that person down from the top and you'd be able to finally get up there yourself and claim to be the king of the castle. But the difficulty with that game um, is consistency. You know, one person couldn't stay up there for the whole time because um, if you ganged up, it'd be easy to get them off the top. Uh, and consistency is something I was always... Um, it was something that came up in my school reports a lot. Uh, one minute my behavior was good, and then the next minute my behavior was bad. One minute my grades were great and I had A's and everything, and the next minute I was failing every single class. And the one thing the teachers were concerned about was I was just inconsistent. Why is it that one minute you're, a, you know, you're a, a, an A student and the next minute you deserve to be in the clay class? They just couldn't uh, work it out, but here's the thing. It all depended on who I was bothering with. When I was with the SWATs, they had a good influence on me, and it did, it picked up my grades. When I was with all the rougher kids from Kaibadra, <laughs> when I was with all the my child, when I was with all the rougher kids, um, they had a bad influence on me because you wanted to kind of fit in with the crowd. But you couldn't please both crowds, because like, if you did things that the ref crowd thought were great, that would always offend the brainy crowd. And if you did things that the brainy crowd thought were good, like chess club and stuff like that, you know, then the ref crowd thought, so you, you just literally, you could not please both camps. And as a result, I was very inconsistent in school. It all depended on the influence of the people that I bothered with. 
as to how well I did in school. Christ makes it quite clear. You can only have one master. My question tonight is this. Who is the king of your castle? That's my question. Who is the king of your castle? The Lord says you cannot serve two masters. That's the concept that he's trying to get across. The impossibility of serving two masters. The Greek language is very emphatic and strong. It basically says, in no way can a man serve two masters. It is impossible to serve two masters. It cannot be done uh, to be able to serve two masters. There can only be one king that rules the castle of your heart. So let me ask you this question. Who is the king of your castle? You cannot serve two masters. The word serve is from the Greek word dulenio, which means literally to be a slave. So to understand all that that means and implies, we have to remember how uh, or what uh, rights uh, a slave had in the ancient world. And here's the thing. In the eyes of the law, a slave was not a person. A slave was a thing. He had absolutely no rights of his own. His master could do with him absolutely as he liked. In the eyes of the law, a slave was a living tool. His master could sell him. His master could beat him. His master could throw him out. His master could even have him put to death. His master possessed him, and he completely possessed him as much as he possessed any of his material possessions. Secondly, in the ancient world, a slave had no time. They didn't have breaks. They didn't have like, all oh, right, you know, I've, I've done my work. Now I've got, you know, I've got a 15-minute morning break. And then because I'm on an eight-hour shift, I've got a half-an-hour lunch break. And then, you know, my union rep said I could have 15 minutes then in the afternoon because, uh, you know, I've, I've worked over my time. And if I, if I work any longer than, uh, you know, than 12 hours, then there's got to be a period of time where I have off then because I'm not legally allowed to come into work. Mm, I didn't work like that for a slave. They, time wasn't theirs. They had no time at all. Every moment of his life belonged to the master. The slave literally had no moment of time which belonged to himself. Every moment belonged to his owner and was at his owner's disposal. The slave then could only meet the demands of his master because he didn't have time to meet the demands of anything else because all the time belonged to his master. In our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians, technically, in that sense, we are slaves. We do not belong to anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Effectively, all of our time belongs to him. We are bought with a price. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our attitude is not, what do I want to do with my life? Our attitude is, what does God want me to do? Do we realize and understand that we do not have time off as Christians? It doesn't work. We don't like, all oh, right, okay, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Now I clock off as a Christian and I'm going home. That's not how it works. You know, we don't get bank holidays. We don't get eight bank holidays a year and say, right, I don't have to be a Christian for eight days a year. That's great. You know, we don't get 28 days leave or whatever it is, the legal requirement for holidays to say, that's it. I don't have to be a Christian out for these times. Well, we don't finish in the afternoon and then we don't have to be a Christian until the next time we wake up. We are a Christian. We are a believer. We are a child of God. We are a part of the body of Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the rest of our lives until he calls us home to glory. We don't get time off. So we recognize the fact that the Lord says you can't serve two masters. Um, service is talking about a slave. A slave has no rights technically of his own, has no time of his own. We belong to him. All of us belong to him. All of our time belongs to him. We cannot go two ways at once. How wonderful would that be when we are lost in the car 
and we don't know which way to go and we come to a, a fork in the road, wouldn't it be great if we could physically go both ways so that we would know which is the right direction to go in? You know, um, Jamie and I and Carl did a bike ride from Hollyhead to Cardiff. I don't know how many years ago that was, is when we were a lot fitter. And we got lost on Anglesey. It's an island. I mean, literally, how, how difficult can it be to go from Hollyhead to get across the... We got lost. And we literally went round the island twice. It, it added about six hours onto our bike ride on the first day. Because we would come to a, a junction, we didn't really know which way to go, and we had to take a guess. But inevitably, we took the wrong guess and went round in circles a couple of times. Apparently, if you keep turning right, you end up coming back to the same place. <laughs> but it would have been great if we could have just all got, you know, at the same time, physically just gone in two different directions so we would know then which way was the right way. But you can't do it. You can't go in two different directions. You can't be for something and against something. It's an impossibility. You cannot serve two masters. It is an axiom, an irrefutable one. If you are a Christian and your desire is to bring honor to Christ with your life, then your master can't be yourself. Because you can't please yourself and please the Lord at the same time. Your master can't be somebody else because you can't please them and the Lord at the same time. Your master can't be money or power or popularity or possessions or positions or materials, wealth or gain. That's what the Lord has been talking about here. He said, look, you can't serve two masters. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because if you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, not only are you going to lose those treasures, but those treasures are going to become an idol and you're going to serve them as a master. We cannot serve two... So let me ask you this question. Who is the king of your castle? That's the concept. But then the Lord talked about the conflict. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. In regards to our affection, Christ said, you're either going to hate the one master or you are going to love the other. You cannot love both masters. You cannot loathe both masters. Whichever one you love, you'll reject the other. In regards to action, Christ says you cannot be loyal to both uh, and you cannot honor both. Whichever master you are loyal to, it stands to reason that you're going to be disloyal to the other master. It's impossible to serve two masters. Anybody ever seen the program Survivor? Anybody ever seen that program? Okay, so Survivor, basically, there's an American Survivor and there's an Australian Survivor. So basically, you've got two teams. Um, you put, um, I think it's on an island in Fiji in somewhere, and um, you have these two camps, and um, you do these trials, and the, the basic concept of the game is that one person is left standing out of 20 people. But within these tribes, they try and form alliances to vote people off. And what you find is there's always one person that kind of rises to the top, and then you'll have somebody within that game that will try and play both sides. So they'll try and be in with this crowd so they can vote that person off and then they'll be in with this crowd so they can vote that and it never ends up well for them. You cannot serve two masters. It does not work. It just leads to instability. It leads to confusion. It leads to corruption. There's, there's just too many demands on a person's life because to please the one, you have to offend the other. You are torn between two masters. You know, and I've seen that. Um, in, in, in my own life, um, you know, my, both my brother and Joe's brother um, were divorced, not from each other, they were um, obviously married um, and divorced, and you see that with the kids. They, they don't know who to please. Um, you know, m my nephew now is 30 years of age and 32, blame me, that's gone quick, haven't I? 32 years of age, and like even now they remember when 
you know, they, if they had um, like a holiday with their dad or time with their dad, they couldn't go back home and say to them, oh, it was awesome, we loved it, it was fantastic. They had to be like, hmm, it was okay. Why? Because kids are absolutely torn. Who do they please? You know, obviously they love mum and they love dad. But they're trying to please both. And in the end, they don't really please either. And that's not fair on them. But we see that. And you, you kind of see the concept of trying to please two masters. It can't be done. It just leads to instability. It leads to frustration. It leads to literally being double-minded. And James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That word unstable literally means reckless, uncontrollable, fickle. That's a description of those who are double-minded. An old African proverb says this, the man who tries to walk in two different roads will split his trousers. It can't be done. It's an impossibility. When we are double-minded, when we're trying to please two masters, when we have that instability in our lives, our walk will be affected. Can I say this? A castle can only have one king. So who's the king of our castle? The conflict between two masters, and and it does, it it boggles my mind how, how people kind of do this and, and, and get away with it for so long. But the conflict between two masters is seen in the story of a middle-aged man who seriously courted two women at the same time. It's not a good idea. Um, you've really got to be switched on because to be a good lady, you've got to have a good memory. So he was courting two women at the same time. The one was younger and the other one was older. But this man... Um, his hair began to go grey. The elder woman was ashamed to be courted by a man younger than herself, so she made a point of whenever she was with him of picking out the darker hair. The younger woman that he was courting, not wanting to be seen with an older man, every time she was with him, would pick out the grey hair. The poor guy ended up going bald. Nothing wrong with being bald, hey, but uh, the poor guy ended up going bald just because he was trying to please two... Did I say bald? The poor guy... Well, okay. The scoundrel ended up going bald. (laughs) I mean, it's hard enough to please one woman, let alone trying to please two. Anyway... But you just see the, the ridiculousness of trying to please two masters. It can't be done. It's an impossibility. It just leads to instability and conflict. You know, we have enough conflict in our lives as it is. And then the Lord talks about the commanders. He says he would either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And these are two commanders that pull at the heart of every believer. Mammon was a Hebrew word. Oftentimes you say, oh, mammon, you can't serve God and money. Mammon was a Hebrew word uh, which literally meant material possessions. Mammon was a Syriac word, and it was a name given to an idol worshipped as the god of riches. I think it was the same as the Greek god um, Plutus. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but it was, it was a Syriac word, which was literally an idol worship uh, as the god of riches. And they used that word to donate wealth. And remember, we saw last week that wealth wasn't just money. It could have been clothing. It could have been possessions. It, it could have been any kind of... Uh, material item. And originally, mammon was not a bad word. Um, the rabbis, for instance, had a saying, let the mammon of thy neighbor be as the dear to thee as thy, uh, to be as dear to thee as thine own. Uh, that is to say that a man should regard his neighbor's material possessions as being a, as important as his own. But the word mammon had a most curious and most revealing history because it comes from a root word which means to entrust. 
So Mammon was that which a man entrusted to his banker for a safe deposit of some kind. Mammon was the wealth which a man entrusted to someone to keep safe for him. But as the years went on, Mammon came to mean that which was not not that which was entrusted to somebody else. Mammon became known as that which you put your trust in. The end of the process was that Mammon came to be spelt with a capital M and became regarded as nothing less than a god. The history of this word shows vividly how material possessions can usurp a place in the life which they were never meant to have. And here's the thing. We are meant to have possessions. Possessions are not meant to have us. You know, they are not meant to have control over us, but that's what happens. And in the end, we start worshipping things more than we worship God. I, again, I've, I've said this before. There's a, um, I think it's still on the notice board, um, but there was a thing put on the notice board saying if we would only treat our Bibles like we treated our phones. Can I say that our phones have become an idol? It's a possession, and yeah, it's great. You know, we, I, it's fantastic. I'm able to talk to the girls all the time. I'm able to FaceTime Hannah. It's wonderful. But they can become an idol. You know, how great would it be if we treated our Bibles like we treated our phones? How many of you have left the house and thought, oh, I haven't got my phone? And then you've rushed back to the house to get your phone. What if we left the house and thought, oh, I haven't got my Bible? You know, how many times we check our phone or somebody texts me or somebody liked my post or somebody posted something about me or somebody put a picture of me up or somebody, you know, we check our phones all the time. Even those who haven't got social media, you still pull your phone out and check your phone all the time. Because it's become a habit. We might not even realize we're doing it. You know, we could be talking to somebody blissfully unaware, and you're having this conversation, and you automatically check in a message, not even realizing you've done it, because it's almost become an idol. What if we, had, what if we treated our Bible like we treated our phone? What if we turned to our Bible every two minutes like we turned to our phone every two minutes? You know, Google has become the be-all and end-all. Oh, I don't know what to do. I was talking about it this week. You know, we had a a building inspector came, and he was talking about builders who, um, they don't make builders like they used to. And he said, he he went on one job, he said, oh, you need to do this. And the builder said, I don't know how to do that. He said, what do you mean you don't know how to do that? He said, I'll Google it. And Lennon, I mean, this meant nothing to me because I went straight over my head, but Lennon Lee looked at one another and were like, don't Google something like that. But Google is the same. Now, you know, can you imagine if you went into the doctors and you said, oh, doc, I got, you know, I got this problem, I got this pain, and, and, uh, and what you want to say is, right, I'll do an MRI, we'll do blood work, we'll do an X-ray. The last thing you want to hear is, I'll Google it. <laughs> what? I don't want to Google it, I want you to know what to do. Don't Google it, MRI it. But what if, what if we went to the Word as our search engine? Because everything, we Google everything. Oh, you know, how do I bake a cake? We Google it. You know, there would have been a time you'd have, you know, you'd have phoned mom or something. Hey, mom, what's the ingredients to it? No, I'll Google it. Yeah, how, 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 anything. I need to make this most important decision in my life. I know what I'll do, I'll Google it. No. What if we turn to this as our search engine? You know, we literally will not leave our phones behind. What if we treated our Bible like we treated our phone? Yeah, we paid a lot of money for our phone. Well, some of us paid a lot of money for our phones. Some of you might be still using flip phones. But for some people, they paid a lot of money for their phones. And you know, they... They're covered in a nice case, and you don't kind of bring your phone home and, like, throw it across the room and say, I'm done with that for the day now. What if we treat our Bibles with the respect that God's Word deserves? Our possessions can become an idol. And we literally, today, 
have a generation, and it's not just a generational thing. I think the majority of people would be lost without their phone. And as good as the phone is for sat-nav, for making calls, for taking pictures, for keeping in touch, I get that. But it would be nice sometimes to not have signal every now and again so we could just spend time in the Lord's word. Who is the king of your castle? God said you cannot, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. There is no better description of a man's God than to say that his God is in the power in whom he trusts. Can I say for a lot of people, this has become like a God to a lot of people because we trust this more than anything. We trust this for our direction. Even when we know where we go in, we seem to stick it in Google Maps or you know, Apple Maps or whatever it is to, to get to our destination. We are literally lost without our phones. When a man puts his trust in material things, then material things have become not his support, but his God. You want to know how rubbish this is? You wait till the network goes down. And then it is absolutely useless. We go up the the West Wales, and there is a spot in West Wales which may as well be on the moon. Because there is nothing. There is no signal. There is no, um, there's no Wi-Fi. There's no 4G, 3G, 5G. There's nothing. And the phone is useless. The only thing it can do then is take a photo. It doesn't do anything else. But there'll never be a point in our lives where this becomes useless. There'll never be a point in our life. These phones will be obsolete. Next year, now, there'll be another phone out, and then there'll be another phone out, and then there'll be another phone out. But this will never be obsolete. Heaven and earth will pass away, the Lord said, but God's word will endure. It'll never fade. It'll never pass away. Every promise will be fulfilled. Every prophecy will be complete. Total loyalty to God cannot be divided between him and our material possessions. A master is a lord or an owner, and God claims total lordship over his own. Um, John 13, 13 says, He called me master and lord, and ye say well, for so I am. He makes it clear that he's our master. There's no passage or command anywhere in the New Testament asking the believer to make Christ Lord of his life after salvation. When you accept Christ as your Savior, he becomes the Lord of your life. He's automatically the king of your castle. He's automatically the king of your life. But we keep taking him off the throne of our lives to put him to one side and we put everything else in its place. If perfect obedience were required in order to make Christ our Lord, he'd be the Lord of no one. Because we can't have perfect obedience. The fact that he's already Lord makes our disobedience to him even more serious. One thing that emerges from all of this is the possessions of wealth, money, material things are not a sin. We've said that. It's not a sin to be rich. Abraham was rich. Lot, uh, um, Job was rich. Uh, it's not a sin to have possessions. We see the patriarchs have lots of possessions. It's not a sin uh, to have things. What is a sin is when things have you. And then they become more important in our lives than the Lord. Jesus is not condemning money or possessions in and of themselves, just the improper attitude towards money and possessions. His point here cannot be overemphasized in light of the society in which we live today, because society tells you just, just have it all. And it doesn't even matter if you can't pay for it. Have it anyway. Just pay a bit of money. And a bit of money 
because you deserve to have it all. Society tells us to have things that we can't afford, to have things that we don't need, because that's what's going to make us happy. If you're not happy already, no amount of things is going to make you happy. Our finances are a tool that can be used for God's glory, for God's good, to help others, for the work of the Lord. And if we have the proper attitude, then the Lord says, nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong uh, with having money in the bank. But it's not to be in control of us. It's not to be our master. So how do we yield ourselves to the Lord? How um, do we yield ourselves um, so that we are serving God and not mammon. And the first thing we need to do is to be sensitive. It's going to be difficult to yield to God's control if you don't love him. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. If you love someone, you will do whatever it takes for that person. If you have a genuine love for the Lord, then serving him is not going to be a hardship. Serving him is not going to be a burden. Um, serving him is not going to be a, a pain. It's going to be a joy. But it's easy to lose our level of passion for Christ when the things of the world start creeping into our lives and we start having a desire for worldly things, then it is possible to lose our first love. Revelation 2.4, the Lord said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. If you want to yield to the Lord, if for some reason he's been dethroned from the castle of your heart, and you need to make him king of your castle again, then be sensitive. Love him with all your heart, with all your might, with all your mind, with everything that is within you. Just love him. Then it'll be easy to serve him. Because if you have a love for him, logically then, it says you'll have a, a hatred for the things that shouldn't be in your life. Because he said you can't love the one master and loathe without loathing the other. So if we automatically love the Lord and we're sensitive in that regard, then we'll yield to him. And the things of this world won't have an effect on our lives. Not only do we need to be sensitive, we need to be submitted. Uh, Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. The smartest thing we can do is to be submissive to God's will, to submit to his will for our life. That was David's attitude. For, the, for most of his life, I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, thy Lord is within my heart. But are we submitted? Do we really want God's will to be done in our lives, or do we want our will to be done in our lives? Well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And again, we come back to, to simple basics of Christianity. It's not God's will for everybody to rush off to the mission field and, and go and preach the gospel to the four corners of the earth. That might not be God's will for everybody. It might not be God's will for everybody to stand in the pulpit and preach his word. It might not be God's will for, for everybody to just give up their job and, and, and go into full-time ministry somewhere. But it is God's will for you to pray every day. It is God's will for you to read the word every day. It is God's will for you to be in his church when the doors are open. It is God's will for you to be a witness whenever you can. It is God's will for you to be a testimony to those around you. It is God's will for you to preach the gospel to every creature. It is God's will for you to walk worthy of the vocation with which you've been called. It is God's will that we love him, worship him, serve him with all of our heart. Sometimes we're afraid to even ask the question, Lord, what is your will for my life? You know, sometimes you think it's going to be a big, massive thing. The Lord's going to want me to do something huge. The Lord might just want you to do something small. One step at a time. 
just be faithful to me in this area of your life first. Just be faithful and, you know, do away with that little sin that's in your life first. But just submit. Maybe he's come off that throne of your heart. Maybe he's not the king of the castle as he deserves to be. So be sensitive. Be submitted. Be serious. Isaiah 34, 16 says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want uh, her mate for thy, my mouth it has commanded and his spirit it has gathered them. The word seek comes from the Hebrew word which means to seek carefully and frequently. You know, there was a time when Christians were serious about studying the word of God. Now again, we've got the convenience of apps on our phones. You know, devotions that we can just have somebody else tell us what the Bible is. Study thy word to show thyself approved. Read the word of God. Read it for yourself. You know, you might get excited about, oh, I, I read this story and, you know, this is what happened to this person and God did this through them. Read the word for yourselves and you'll be amazed at what God wants to speak to you about through his word. Be serious. Seek the word. Be a student of the word. Acts 17 says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. The word, the phrase readiness of mind is from a Greek word which means with zeal, with eagerness. Do we come to the Bible with a zeal and with an eagerness? They search the scriptures daily. It literally means that they examined, they investigated, they inquired, they scrutinized, they questioned. They sifted. We are to scrutinize the scripture. We are to study the scripture. Our, our study of the word should be intense. It, it, it's possible. Take time to, you know, to, to look up the meaning of words, to see what the context of the scripture is. Don't just read a passage of scripture for the sake of reading a passage of scripture. You know, I love um, the, the men of valor group. Sometimes when, uh, when somebody will come on and say, oh, I read this passage of scripture and this is how it spoke to me and I didn't understand it at first, but then this uh, is what the Lord revealed and this is what... I love that. Because it means somebody's taken the time to just to, to study the word and to look at it in context and to see who's written it and who it was written to and why it was written and what it was written about and not taken one verse out of context but read it all in context and it has meant so much we ought to scrutinize the word and study the word and be serious in our study of God's word. The great treasures of scripture are found many times in the study of different words that mean so much. You know, when you just look at that one word, love, and you look at the, the Greek word, agape, that just means so much more. Be serious when you study the word. Martin Luther said, I study my Bible like I gather apples. First I shake the whole tree that the ripest may fall. Then I shake each limb, and when I have shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake each limb, study book after book. Then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters. Then I shake every twig, or a careful study of the paragraphs and sentences and words and their meaning. Too often... We want not just the low-lying fruit. You know, in, in business, they used to say, go after the low-lying fruit. What they would say is, fix things which are easy to fix. But as Christians, we're not going after the low-lying fruit. We're going to what's fallen on the floor. Because we've become... I don't like to say lazy. But we've become lazy. Because we want... God to show us something but we don't want to be serious in our study of his word for him to speak to us about it we would much rather he just appeared to us in a dream and just told us exactly what he wanted us to do and then that would just be easy 
We've got to be students of the word. If he's going to be king of our castle, we, we've got to be serious in the study of his word. And then finally, we've got to be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The word steadfast means firm, settled in one's thinking. You know, we oftentimes think about steadfast as just standing firm. And yeah, that's true, but it also means to be firm in your mind, to know what you believe, to not be blown about with every wind of doctrine, to be solid, to be in a place that's immovable. When it comes to the Lord and his word, our convictions are meant to be firm and settled and solid. We are not going to change God's word because the world is changing at a rate of not. That's not how it works. It doesn't matter how much the world changes. God's word is never going to change. Ah, yeah, but the thing is we need to keep up with the times. No, we don't. We need to keep up with what God is telling us. steadfast we are to be entrenched and resting in God's truth not only are we to be steadfast we are to be unmovable that carries the idea of uh, something that is firmly persistent it's, it's the Greek word amatikineos which means a not meta with kinethos movement with no movement no disturbance no commotion no wagging. God wants us to have stability in our lives. He doesn't want us to have commotion and confusion and chaos and the, the wagging of inconsistency. Stability comes from putting him first. If we try and serve two masters, there's going to be instability. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be movement. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. The snail was steadfast. The snail was faithful simply for the task of getting to the ark. More in it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A castle can only have one king. My question to you tonight, who is the king of your castle? Maybe you are here tonight and you are lost. Can I say this to you? And this is not my words, this is Jesus' words. The devil is the king of your castle. If you are lost, the Lord Jesus Christ said, ye are of your father the devil. That's not a good king to have ruling your life. You need to come to know Christ as your Savior before it's too late. How do you do that? Admit the fact that you've sinned and broken God's commandment. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that his shed blood is the only thing that can take your sins away. And then call on him for salvation, confessing your sins and confessing him as Lord. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must saved whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved if you are unsaved then the devil is the king of your castle if you are saved Christ is meant to be the king of your castle but there's a lot of things in this world that try and vie for that title possessions material wealth position work even family and sometimes take the place that is solely meant for the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the king of your castle? If you've been wavering, then can I just say to yield to him, you need to be steadfast. You need to be serious. You need to be submitted. And you need to be sensitive. Love the Lord. Be serious in the study of his word. Submit to his will and be steadfast and unmovable in your devotion to him. And give him the proper place in your life. Father, we thank you so much for this time together tonight. And for the opportunity to come around your word. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to recognize the importance of your position.
in our lives. Father, we are thankful for all you've done for us. And again, we pray that if there's anyone here tonight or listening online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that tonight would be the night that they would call upon his name. They would have forgiveness of sin and they would have a sure hope of a home in heaven. Father, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not even guaranteed our next breath. Lord, it would be a tragedy if somebody here tonight who was lost would never have another opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior because their last breath would be breathed tonight. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts this evening and that somebody would come to that realization that Christ loved them enough to die upon the cross for them, that only through accepting him as Savior can they have a promise of forgiven sins and a home in heaven. And then, Father, for those who are a part of the family of God, help us to recognize the importance of you being the king of our castle. We can only serve one master. We can't serve two because we will love the one and we will loathe the other. And you deserve our heart, our mind, our strength, everything that is within us. You deserve our praise and worship tonight, Lord. And we ask that if there's any area of our life where we have started to remove you from the preeminence that you deserve, then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to put that right this evening. And we'll be mindful to walk worthy again because of the calling that you put on our lives. So, Lord, we just pray and ask these things in Christ's most wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. If you are here tonight and you would like to talk about salvation, please come and see me and I would more than happily speak to you about what the Bible says, about how to be saved, what it means to be saved, and uh, what you need to do in order uh, to come to know Christ. Um, Just again, for the fathers who weren't here this morning, uh, we've got a little gift for you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to Joe. I know lots of people said this morning, um, if there was any left, they would even like to buy some. Because um, it's, it's a pretty cool gift, um, even if I do say so myself. Um, so the dads that weren't here this morning, we've got a gift for you. Come and see us, uh, me and Joe, after the service. And then um, we'll work out something after that <laughs> uh, in the meantime. So I'm going to ask uh, Andrew Davis to close us in a word of prayer when we finish the last hymn, and then during the last hymn, we'll go and get that stuff ready. So, thanks, man.
God and Father, we thank you for the time we have spent together today around your word, our God. We praise you for the songs and the hymns that we have sung, hymns of faith, our God, and hymns of faithfulness from you. Help us to be more faithful, our God and Father, faithful in the reading of your word, our God, faithful of adhering to it and the precepts of it. We thank you that in it we can see your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a one who gave his life a ransom for all. We pray that if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they will realize from the words that have been spoken, from thy word that has been read, their need of a Savior. The word of God would tell us that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. And the heaven whereby we must be saved. We pray that someone will take that as a command from Almighty God tonight. We praise thee for everything you do for us, our God. We pray, praise thee for our spiritual blessings, our physical blessings, our health blessings. And praise thee that we have one who sticketh closer than a brother. We thank thee again for all that you do for us. And we pray